Good day and welcome to Film Exploration with Ash Hurry and we're continuing thick and fast with season 7 where my podcasts are looking at films with complex female characters and with that comes Ari Aster's 2019 ironically dark thriller Midsommar. Written and directed by who I consider the man to watch out for in the horror genre, Ari Aster, and starring Florence Pugh, Jack Rayner, Will Poulter, William Jackson Harper, and Wilhelm Blomgren. Ari Aster is an American director, rather modern yet relatively established in the world of Hollywood with his debut feature-length film Hereditary, that sent shockwaves to the norm of how to make a horror movie. More so, how he steered away from the horror stereotypes and created something more realistic and engaging and yet equally, if not more, disturbing. He dismisses the fact that he is, in fact, a horror director and doesn't wish to be put into categories. He searches the depth and soul of the movie's main characters and usually depicts those raw emotions in an unflinching manner, some in violence and some just as trivial as things you see in a family drama. He's quite ruthless in the direction of the movie's plot. He navigates with emotion rather than frights, and the tone of his two films, Hereditary and Midsummer, have captivated the experience of horror back again. You see, horror movies have an expectation when you walk into the movie, and what Ari Aster does is remove the usual anticipation of these stereotypes, and he has fashioned his own elegance to making horror movies. He considers that a horror movie that exists today have not reached its full potential and there are only a handful of movies that have done it correctly, those that have searched for the height of emotions. And with that, the experience of that movie is tenfold with the audiences who are watching it. When they work, he says, it's very exciting, but they rarely do, unfortunately. He does not care about handling expectation with his films. With Midsummer, when that was released, a lot of people were quick to jump on the horror wagon and ask him all kinds of questions that you would ask a horror director. But this film is simply not that. Yes, it's satire. Yes, it's quite graphic. It's ambitious and it delivers an experience, but it doesn't allow itself to be categorized in a horror genre. It is better to enter the film without any knowledge of it. And what Ari Aster has done is make scary films, but take away what you know about them and yet still manages to scare you equally, if not more. I would argue more. The scarier films are the ones that stays with you for a few days than the ones that give you a jumpy moment for a few seconds during the movie. So Midsummer, Ari Aster's second film after Hereditary. In that came expectations anyways in what his, on, you know, what this guy would do next. And it did not disappoint. It's like when M. Night Shyamalan did The Sixth Sense and it was a massive hit and everyone was talking about the ending. So his next movie, everyone had already brought the expectations of The Sixth Sense to his next movie. Um, so when Unbreakable came out or was released, audiences had already built in expectations on what they may, you know, what he may do with this movie or what the movie or the movie might do. It might have a massive twist like it did in The Sixth Sense. And people did exactly the same with Hereditary and Ari Aster. I would argue right here and right now that both M. Night Shyamalan's movie and Ari Aster's second films are their best work, Unbreakable and Midsummer. So far, anyways. Midsummer is a holiday and it's one of the most celebrated holidays in Sweden. It takes place sometime in June and it's marked the longest day of the year and it's the celebration of the summer solstice. Standard traditions is they raise a maypole and they all sing and dance around it amongst many other little traditions and rituals. It is also celebrated for the rise of fertility. The tradition differs from time to time but it does date back to the early 15th century. 
With this film, which is classed as unsettling and therefore automatically classed as a horror, the film is in fact quite charming and vibrant. The the entire film takes place during daylight, which is not a routine thing for a horror movie. However, as psychedelic as the film is, the disturbing experiences throughout the movie with the backdrop of the Swedish sun and vibrant surroundings acts as a deeply uneasy and eerie notion and in fact makes the experience much more chilling. With Hereditary, with some which some consider the evidently scarier of the two um, in its own unique way, but what Hereditary was doing, like most films do with most horrors, is exploit the eeriness that comes from the darkness uh, the darkness and use it as an advantage. Midsummer had no such advantage, so therefore it's completely on its own to sell the themes of its story and how it works. That being said, though, despite the whole movie being completely in daylight, there is not one single shot where the sun is visible. So the basic plot of the movie is some Americans decide to spend the summer witnessing and studying the midsummer celebrations in Sweden, courtesy of their Swedish friend they go to uni with. And from there, the film develops hand to hand with what the audiences know. The opening scene is vintage Ariasta. The film opens up with a tragedy, a suicide of the main character's sister, and with that she also kills her parents too. The film then follows Danny, played by Florence Hugh, in a composed state of shock. Composed state of shock. It's like an oxymoron, but that's exactly how she plays it. Barely getting the support from her boyfriend, he invites her along to the the Swedish garrison and where in where, you know, it may take her mind off things, just a distraction. Much to the protest of all his lad friends, she decides to pop a lot. She, she decides to go along and, you know, she goes with them. They are evidently very distant from each other, the boyfriend and the girlfriend. Um, and I think it's done on purpose. I don't even think there's a scene where they kiss and they are, you know, and they're going out for God's sake. Um, but obviously this is done delivery. But as you are aware, at what starts as a tranquil holiday with the backdrop of a beautiful cultural Swedish festival soon turns into a violent and bizarre ritualistic event to where our main characters are not used to. The shocking revelation in the movie is not the horror, but the journey that Danny goes through in this movie as she becomes the May Queen in this year's midsummer celebration, which eventually acts as her escape to her grieving and trauma she suffered from the death of her family. The film actually ends with her smiling for the first time and she finally realises that at the film's climax, despite the killing of her other friends, including her boyfriend, which she was solely responsible for, that she may have actually found a place where she belongs now. The film suggests that it was in fact Danny's destiny all along to be the May Queen and it's there that it suggested that Danny's journey, her grieving, her relationship all led her to make her way to Sweden to be this village queen. The fact that she doesn't find peace with her boyfriend or even her friends makes this ending even more shocking despite the brutal murders of each of their exits. She is struggling to find her place in the world and what the movie is doing is suggesting that the film does conclude with a happy ending. That Danny has now found her place again and the struggle she had throughout the entire movie with coming to terms with her family's death has now been softened. And in that comes Ariasta's theme that draws parallel to Hereditary. It's about grieving and it's about how a human being works on moving forward. The horror merely acts as a backdrop and a guide to the protagonist's journey and discovering what the true destiny may be. I always say everything done on screen in films, from the background to the colour to what we see on film, is not done by accident. Everything has a meaning and Ari Aster's strength in 
bold. His films is, is covered in symbolism. And that's of the themes of trauma and grieving. Ari Aster sort of went above and beyond and told people that horror movies do not need to be showcased with darkness because that's not what real horror is about. The real horror is what stays with you the entire time, hence why this film doesn't shy away from the light. Everything is there to be seen. There is literally no place to hide, no secret. It's about embracing your grief, your secrets. And that's exactly what Ari Aster does so well in his movies. He's trying to engage the audience to believe this. The term slow burner gets thrown around a lot, but once you, in, you know, engage your audience from minute one, it's redundant if it's a slow burner, uh, burner or not because you are already committed to the story. Arias's delivery, you know, his realistic opening scene in which true horror is shown, not from violence, but from mourning and from mental health. And thus the film then slowly ponders with Danny in a state of, you know, desolation until she gets invited to Sweden. And there we still follow her and her journey. Nothing has changed except that the people of this festival have found their queen and Danny has found her escape. The truly graphic horrors of the movie don't really happen until the end of the movie, but the direction of the plot and the build-up is thick and extremely tense and doesn't become anything less than exciting, despite the sheer role we have as the audience, which is as a shadow of the main character. But as I was saying, the shocking part of the movie isn't that Danny sacrifices a boyfriend to be May Queen or that his death is disturbingly brutal. It's how Ari Aster, the director, is telling us, the audience, of the destiny of the ending from minute one. Like I said earlier, nothing is by accident. The film literally opens up with a piece of art that tells us the entire ritual of the movie done from this sort of Magna Carta uh, strip the opening mural from left to right foreshadows the events of the entire film and provides clues pertaining to the contrasting fates of Danny and Christian. If you look closely, it reveals Pele as the mastermind behind the invitation to visit Haga, who is the Swedish roommate. When the visitors reach the village, Connie and Simon examine a tapestry that shows a woman falling in love with a man, placing flowers under his pillows and then hiding her pubic hair in his food, resulting in a man's falling in love with and impregnating her. This tapestry exactly forecasts what Maya will do to Christian before and during the May Celebration Queens. We as the audience are already aware of what's going to happen because we've already been shown it. It's our choice if we believe to see it as a prophecy or if just a piece of art that's been flung in the opening scene. Also, right in the opening scene, there's a picture of Danny next to her parents and she's got flowers like she does at the end of the movie, like her whole life was indeed intended that she was going to be a May Queen. Not to mention that her birthday falls during the celebration. She's in her mid-twenties and if you look at every single piece of artwork in the film, they are foreshadowing either Danny's relationship with Pele or the death of Christian or their trip to Sweden. People look back at Midsummer already, a film that has only been out for less than two years and continues to look back to unearth even more symbolic Easter eggs that Ari Aster has shrewdly inserted throughout the entire film. The contents of these symbolic artistic imageries hints to every fate of every character and it does recall viewers to watch this movie at least four to five times and you'll find something different each time. I think I've watched this movie six times and I've seen something different each time. The film is... A near perfect example of using this tool to help develop the horror that is to come and to prepare and also at the same time not shy away from the background of the movie hence why this film acts as a truly engaging picture even though nothing really explosive happens till right at the end. 
So the film is set in a fictional village in Sweden called Haga, which is completely 100% fictitious. The film was filmed in Hungary, not Sweden, because of budget restraints. And apparently the Swedish people really enjoyed this film as a piece of art, but nothing more or nothing less. In fact, instead of being a dark, scared horror film, most of the Swedes found the film quite funny and simply stated that it was a dark comedy. Most of the Swedish dialogue in the film isn't subtitled for the mere reason of creating that fear of isolation and ambiguity which parallels our thought process with those of the main characters. The film was unusually quick to be released. It was announced the second Hereditary came out in cinemas because of how good it was doing at the box office. And Midsummer was greenlit, which means the producers have approved it. And they greenlit it on May 18th, 2018. And the film was released... A month later, which is stupidly quick to shoot, edit, and release the film. So, amazing job from Ari Aster there. It was regrettably not released in June during the actual Midsummer, but just a few weeks after it, though. <clears throat> and Ariana Grande calls it her favorite film of all time and even had her 27th birthday as a Midsummer themed party, which is pretty awesome. Um, but I was talking about symbolism earlier and I was reading a film magazine that the number nine in this movie is especially relevant to the film's story. So when they go to Sweden, they find out that the complete ritual lasts for nine days in which nine lives are sacrificed to purify the whole town. In addition, Pele explains to Danny and the rest of the newcomers that the cycle of life conceived by Haga's people marks at 18 years the end of childhood, which is nine times two of youth um, and the youth ends at 36 which is nine times four and the maturity level sort of dies away at age 54 which is nine times six and of the age at the end of life according to the people of Haga is 72 nine times eight in addition the feast itself is celebrated every 90 years nine times ten implying that each one of the sacrifice equals 10 years of purity for Haga's people even the feast name midsummer has nine letters also at the beginning of the movie when danny leaves a message for her parents the answer machine number counts up to nine before it leaves the frame the importance of nine derives from the old myth of odin father of all norse gods more commonly known as the father of thor and loki who was hung up upside down for nine days in Yustrasil, which is the tree of world in order to bring knowledge to the world creating fukthark which is a runes language it's very interesting mythology norse and there are also some rather obscure symbolism in this movie, like when all the main characters are talking in the apartment about the Swedish trip. Besides Christian on the fridge, just next to him in the shot, is a framed picture of a scarecrow from The Wizard of Oz. Now, the scarecrow in The Wizard of Oz was afraid of fire, and he was made of straw and would quickly burn. This either foreshadows Christian's fate of burning alive, surrounded by straw and bodies arranged like scarecrows, or Mark's fate of being skinned and turned into a straw doll. You get to choose. And even Christian, his name itself is symbolic as well because his goal is going there to Sweden who is to do research on his dissertation about pagan rituals. And the movie ends up with him being the Christian that is sacrificed by the pagan cult at the end of the movie during a pagan ritual. Even mundane dialogue like when Will Poulter says, think of all the women you could impregnate, which acts to be a major plot twist at the climax of the film. The movie is filled with hidden meanings, dialogues, pictures, clothing, covered in layers of connotations. And it's this that does this film makes it rather engaging. It's why this film is rather riveting and it is forcing us to watch it not once or twice, but maybe three or four times. 
The horror element of this movie is not the selling point. The selling point is the opposite. How can a film so vibrant and colourful be so terrifying? And that's where our curiosity leads us to engage with this film. Even though the film ends with a ritualistic, nightmarish, violent end to half of the main characters, the movie concludes its main plot, and that is of the relationship between Danny and Christian. They are separated, and she is happy, and that whatever is going on in your life that takes you away from you living, people seem to have a purpose in life and a destiny. And when the worst things in life hit you, like death, the signs are right in front of us to follow and have been our entire lives. And that's exactly what Midsummer is trying to suggest in this movie. The movie is a promising revamp of what the horror genre is capable of doing and creating true terror rather than the fake Hollywood jumpy scenes that they seem to love to death. Excuse the pun. But watch out for Ari Aster and also the magnificent Florence Pugh in both their future projects, both with absolute potential and you know, showcased in this movie. But anyways, that's all I have time for with Midsummer. Truly a film to watch multiple times and to fully emerge yourself with the central character of Danny as she struggles to find her balance in life and to discover who you surround yourself with and what makes you happy deep down. But anyway, please subscribe to me on Spotify, iTunes, and Google. I'm also on Instagram, Film Exploration AH, or lowercase or one word. And once again, thank you for listening to Film Exploration with Ash Hurry. Hurry.